We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay our respects to Elders past, present and Aboriginal Elders emerging. The Vale Podcast, driven by pioneer Ford Robin Vale. It's worth the drive. Sure is. And we're back. <laughs> yes, we are back. Can you sit closer to your microphone? Every week. Gosh, every week we have the same discussion. Didn't say the... That's better. So, uh, it's good. Didn't say the what? Don't tell me we have to say the... No, we don't have to say the website. Oh. So only... <sighs> Professionalism plus you. My stress, given what day it is, my stress levels are already heightened. You are not helping already. And we're three seconds in. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, I don't know why you're stressed. There's only like a council election. Richmond are going to lose a grand final and so are the storm. Yeah, I know. It's funny. How very dare you, sir. Mm. Wow. Anywho, let's move on to a completely different topic. So over the last month and for the next few weeks, we're talking to different people about their careers and Charlie has actually sourced a guest. A good one too. A great one, but this doesn't ever happen. Charlie never lines up the guests <laughs> unless they're with Ambulance Victoria. Charlie never does any of the groundwork. He just comes in, brings the lols and walks out again. To, to be fair, it's literally because I had a conversation with you and then I saw Gab, Anthony's sister. Right. And I said, oh, he'd be really good to be on the podcast. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know what? Thanks for your work anyway. And we should welcome our guest, Anthony Carden. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Uh, I will be honest, I hadn't heard of this podcast until uh, Charlie messaged me. So, well, so see, now, I'll, now I'll tune in regularly. There we go. So we've picked up an extra yeah. listener well, in go. the process, which is fabulous. Now, Anthony, you grew up in Robinvale. I went to school here. I did, yeah. I think, and my husband thinks, that you were in the same year level perhaps. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2000. Yeah, that would be Luke's year. It's, yeah. Yeah, three years after me. Yeah. And you've been at school for like ever since. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> medicine, medicine is lifelong learning for sure. We did, yeah. We did have a bit of a laugh of because uh, I didn't just... <laughs> When I talked to Gab, I said, oh, Anthony's a doctor, isn't he? And she's like, yeah. And I said, oh, it'd be great for the podcast. And she didn't tell me exactly what you do. So maybe you should explain it because uh, I made a bit of a fool of myself. Well, I did. Before you got here, Charles, I did have a word to Anthony about how, and I asked the question, how many letters come after your name? And I've just counted them. It's more than 20. Yeah, it's too many. It's just uh... This shows you how long it takes to get to uh, like where I am now, 20 years after uh, finishing high school. So, Wow, I, it, it's insane. It's like 22 letters after your name. So tell us exactly what your title is now. Uh, so I'm a radiologist and nuclear medicine specialist. So basically uh, that's medical imaging. So all, all types of medical imaging, so x-rays, ultrasound, uh, CT, MRI. And then nuclear medicine is... Um, uh, PET scans and uh, bone scans and lots of other things that um, are a bit more specialised and um, you don't uh, see that often. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, my career uh, thus far. So I just look at pictures all day, basically. What do you mean thus far? Are you plan on doing more study? Uh, no, no, I think I'm done. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but things like there's always new things that uh, 
you know, come up in medicine and you have to learn them. And um, uh, like I gave a talk to the year 12s, I think last year or the year before, and I mentioned in that talk that uh, like my, my subspecialty is PET scans, uh, which is basically uh, nuclear medicine scans for cancer. And the first PET scanner in Australia was installed in 2000. So when I finished high school, basically the main, my main job didn't really exist in Australia. So, and now that's what I do, you know, nearly every day of the week. And I think that's a really important point, actually. There's my job when I graduated high school as well, my job didn't exist. My current job certainly didn't exist. So that's a really good indication of how quickly technology evolves. And I imagine in, in medicine, because there's so much research going on all the time, things change and there are new technologies available all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, probably the majority of stuff that I was taught when I was in med school is probably obsolete now, you know, or the, the drugs that we used have been superseded and there's better drugs and better techniques and things with them. Um, so, yeah. So you have to keep on top of it all. If you, Make sure you're doing the best you can for your patients, you know, keeping up with best practice. I think um, the best message, uh, which I was saying before, is that people get a bit hung up on what they're going to do. You know, mm. there's so much pressure on kids, like from year 10. And yeah. You know, they've got to pick a career. But like you said, like your career wasn't even uh, around mm. when you finished school. Mm. So, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, kids. <laughs> That's exactly right. But if you're really into school, you could go down a career pathway like Anthony. Now, can you run us through when you graduated from, uh, was it Robinvale P12 or was it Robinvale High School in 2000? No, it'd be Robinvale Secondary College back then. Yeah, Robinvale Secondary College. Oh, my gosh. It changes so Yeah, Old school. (laughs) (laughs) Did you do your 12 year, Anthony, or did you go away? No, no, I did it all here. Did you? You and Jane? Was Jane Nealon, did she finish here as well? Or? Uh, she was near below me. I think she might have gone off somewhere else, maybe Ballarat, the, oh. like BCE. Yeah. But uh, Jane and I were in the same year of med school. So. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. And that's what I thought you must have uh, finished around, the, well, finished school at the same time, but obviously not. Yeah, yeah. So she was near below me. Um, I had a, like a gap year between um, uh, high school and starting uh, university. Um but, um, yeah, so we ended up in the same year at med school. So so I know she's a very good doctor. Yeah. She's a very good doctor. She's my doctor. And congratulations to Jane. She's not long ago had a new bubba, mm, which is home. exciting. She had it at home. Did she? Yeah. Well, she's a doctor. So she should yeah, know if anyone can again, have their baby at home. Yes, but it's not as simple as that. No, I realise. I, I, no, no. Well, I'm not going to even go there, but I couldn't think she of anything bio, more stressful. Had, yeah. Was it a quick labour? We'll get Jane on here one day. Yes. Well, I have actually messaged Jane and she'll be our next doctor that we talk to. But for now, (laughs) Anthony, can you run us through your education and career path post-school? Because you, in reality, 20 years after finishing high school, you're only now just qualified. Yeah, correct. So so after high school, I had my uh, gap year and then after that went to university, uh, so Monash University to uh, get my medical degree and that took uh, five years uh, actually it took six years because I uh, did a research year uh, in the middle of that so uh, it took me six years to finish uh, medical school and then um, after that uh, well when you finish medical school you go off and you do an internship so you go work at one of the big hospitals generally in Melbourne for a year um, 
So I did that at the Royal Melbourne. And then after that, you become sort of like a general junior doctor and you work in a hospital and you sort of, you call a resident at that stage. And depends, you can do that for a year, two years, three years. It depends on individual and what they want to do. And then after that, uh, I started uh, training to be a surgeon. So I got into the training program in the College of Surgeons. Uh, and I did that for about three years. I feel, I feel like you're underachieving. <laughs> Yeah, I feel uh, like he's a bit more than a GP, <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> uh, no, G- GPs are the backbone of the medical profession. It's actually, you know, it, they have their own separate training program, which is, uh, you know, it's not as if you finish medical school and become a GP. Yeah. You know, go through is kind of the same process. Um, so it takes them, you know, from finishing medical school to becoming a GP, probably the quickest you could do that is six, seven years, I think. So. Wow. So, you know, so, you know, if you include medical school, which you can do in five years to becoming a GP, that's, you know, 12 years of training, essentially. Um, So it still takes a while. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so I I had a, uh, started to train to be a surgeon. Uh, And then um, I decided that uh, I wanted to do radiology instead. Uh, So I joined the radiology training program. Uh, after three years of surgical training, um, and then there's a few, there's a couple of thing, couple other things I did in in between that, uh, where I worked for AusAid for a year. Um, so I was a, a volunteer for international development in the AusAid program on the Thai Burma border, working in a little hospital there. Um, then I came back and started uh, radiology training, which was five years, and then. Uh, and then nuclear medicine training uh, on top of that. And then, yeah, finally qualified and now working at the Peter McCullum Cancer Center uh, in the uh, radiology nuclear medicine department there. Wow. So what was your... I feel like we glossed over a lot of that. Yeah, we're going to go go back and unpack a lot of that. The research thing. Yeah, but before that, you had a gap year. So what did you do and where did you go and what kind of mischief did you get up to? I just just stayed in Rumpel. So what happened is uh, I got into Monash Uni uh, Medical School there and they decided that they were going to, uh, like, rejig their medical program and so they didn't have an intake that year. So they told us all to have a year off and come back the next year. Oh. Uh, so it was kind of, a you know, not quite forced. We could have gone to a different uni, but it was kind of enforced year off. Um, and Monash so, is one of the, probably the better ones. But yeah. So at, uh, when I went through medical school, there was only Monash in Melbourne, uh, in Melbourne Uni in Victoria at that stage. There's a couple of others now, but they were the only two. Um and yeah, so I stayed uh, in Rumbal and I uh, worked uh, for a little bit on uh, the Jabazi farm, Anthony Jabazi, worked uh, as, you know, his number one labourer for a few months. <laughs> Maybe we'll get him on here next week and <laughs> see what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say that farm work's not really for me, but... Uh... <laughs> as a farmer, you make a really, 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 really good radiologist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I was just uh, around home uh, yeah, doing bits and pieces. So and then they- went off to uh, medical school. And actually, I remember the uh, first day, like, when I had to drive down to Melbourne uh, to move into, like, the residence and things. That was the first time I'd ever driven in Melbourne, you know, so. <laughs> oh, so how was that? Uh, it was quite an experience. I made it, you know. <laughs> what uh, were you driving? I had a uh, 
old Holden Chimera. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> Chimera. <laughs> yeah. Was that the red one? No, no, it was, it was grey. It was, yeah, silver. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. So your research year that you did in the middle of med school, yeah. what, was, what, was it, what were you researching? Uh, I was in a lab that was working on uh, vaccines for hepatitis C. All right. And so I worked on, uh, basically we had an insect virus, so this virus that infected uh, mosquitoes and flies, and we put uh, parts of the um, sort of the hepatitis C protein into this virus, and then the plan was that this would be the vaccine. Because it was an insect virus, it wouldn't cause any harm to, <clears throat> to humans, but our immune system would find it and kill it and then, be, you know, develop immunity to the hep C uh, proteins in it. Mm. Uh, so that, that was my research project for that year. Um, but since then, we've, you know, basically um, hep C is pretty much curable these days. So I was going to say, so did that contribute to then the treatment that we have for hep C now? Um, no, so they, that was kind of being developed at the same time right. uh, and uh, they were, you know, always had much better results than we did. The problem with our virus was that, um, you know, the human body is very clever at uh, killing things that don't belong in it. And we have, uh, this thing in our blood called complement and its sole job is to just bind to viruses and stop them from working. Mm. And, uh, fortunately <laughs> it was very good at killing this particular virus. So mm. it worked out well. Interesting. It's so far over my head, but I find it so fascinating that there are people that are so incredibly smart to do this kind of thing, which is why I always donate money to research projects and things like that that I find worthy. Um, so Burma was what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> Oz, the Oz Aid thing. Let's unpack that. Um, yeah, so that was, I think, what year that was. I think maybe 2011 or 2012. Um, yeah, so I spent the year on the uh, Thai-Burma border. So back then Australia is still called the country Burma and now it's Myanmar. Um, so at that stage they called themselves Myanmar, but Australia refused to recognise the name. So we had to call them Burma, but now but now it's all Myanmar. And um, so I lived in a little uh, sort of town on the border called Maysot. And there was a non-government hospital there that basically dealt with, uh, like, Burmese refugees that came across the border. Uh, so there's a population that lives on the other side of the border <coughs> called, the, called the Karen, uh, and they're kind of uh, population that had been having, don't have a great relationship with the uh, Myanmar government. Um, so there's often a lot of displaced people. There's a large refugee camp in that area. Um, so I worked uh, in that little hospital uh, in the surgical ward, um, just basically a tin shed, um, and yeah, did that for a year. It was an interesting experience. Um, yeah, we had uh, we had no general anaesthetic, so everyone we operated on was awake. <laughs> oh <laughs> so my gosh! Um, that we had local anaesthetic, so they're all numb and. We could do spinal anesthesia and things like that. So they didn't they didn't feel anything, but they they weren't drugged and they were wide awake. Uh, and so 
Is that intimidating though, or confronting, or just weird? Yeah, well, the when, would be. yeah, well, yeah. I'm talking about I'm talking about from Anthony's point of view, though. Obviously, for the patient, although those patients probably didn't know any better. But from a, an Australian doctor's point of view, if you can converse with the patient while you're operating on them, yeah. Well, I mean, there are. It's not uncommon in Australia for people to have those sort of operations. Um, so I think you know, like a C-section would be the most common thing in Australia. You know. Mm women are, are awake and with it and they're just, you know, there's just basically they just don't know what's going on beyond the uh, the, the sheet. Oh, yes, <laughs> we do. Yes, we do. We know exactly what's going on. You sort of do. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, yeah, because, uh, you know, when I was a surgical training, I did uh, a lot of seizures. Um, but, yeah, but when I was over there, <clears throat> to be honest, um, the patients there, you know, were very compliant and they're, um a very sort of chilled population and uh, a lot of the times when we give them make them numb you know it was the first time in months and months that they had been pain free Mm. and they'd fall asleep because they were exhausted you know the pain had been keeping them awake and they hadn't been sleeping and they most of them would just fall asleep so (laughs) i love a good anesthetic i'm a massive fan of (laughs) I am. I'm not going to lie. I love it. I love a good general, but I do, I get, I, I understand that perspective of when you all of a sudden you're pain free and you can just relax and your heart rate drops and you, yeah, I get that. That's cool. um, But yeah, but literally it was a tin shed um, and, you know, the ward, the uh, ground was just dirt and um, the operating theater was a bit better and the operating theater was the only room that had air conditioning. So I used to hang out in there a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm having yeah. visions of, do you remember the show MASH? Uh, I was gonna but say on, a, on a lesser scale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they probably had better equipment in MASH. But, um, <laughs> well, they're all props. <laughs> like we didn't even have a proper sink to like uh, scrubbing. We used to use like this alcohol rub to sterilise our hands. And then uh, our gowns, um, we just put in a washing machine at the back. And then like in the wet season, they were never dry because we just hang them out the back to dry and they never dry. So you'd be operating in this kind of like damp gown. Oh. Uh, yeah. How'd you go infection wise? Well, this is the thing. Well, he had a very low infection rate. Um, my theory was that, you know, there were so many bugs around. They were all competing with each other and just kept each other in check. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we had, I was very surprised. We had a very low infection rate, um, you know, comparable to, you know, the wards in Australia basically. Hey. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm blown away. And Anthony's obviously a terrible human being going off to, you know, <laughs> being a doctor and radiology and then going off to save the world in what the the country formerly known as Burma. Um, but well, I, was, I, was on the, I was on the Thailand side, so it was, you know, it was a bit safer than being on the Burmese side. But. It's almost like a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. No. But, um yeah, so that was that was a you know that was a great year. Lots of interesting experiences. Um, we got to go into Burma a couple of times because um, actually the town where I live was a bit like Rumbow and Houston. There was a bridge, and then there was another town in Burma. Um, but the bridge was a lot more hardcore, and there was soldiers on the bridge. And uh, 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 no, that's exactly how it yeah, is now. We've got soldiers on our bridge at the moment. <laughs> Probably, yeah. it's probably the same now. Yeah, so yeah. that's exactly how it is. Yeah. So when you came back from from thailand you went back you decided that going back to school was the way to go to get even more qualified or did you just have a 
What, were you doing surgery then or were you still? Yeah, so I was, I was uh, still training to be a surgeon then. Mm. Um, and then when I came back, I did it. Actually, when I came back, I did another year of surgical training uh, at the Geelong Hospital. And during that year, I decided uh, I wanted to do radiology instead. Um, so I guess, you know, like after medical school, you know, when you're an intern and onwards, it's probably more of an apprenticeship, I guess, rather than, you know, being at school. Mm. It's, you're at work and you're learning, but there are, yeah. So, and it's a bit like, I don't know, like apprentices go off to trade school for a couple of weeks here and there. I guess we kind of do the same thing in between, you know, working. So, yeah, right. So what made you change your mind? Was it was it that experience and having to operate in a theatre that was a tin shed with a dirt floor that made you go, mm, don't know that surgery is for me, I want to look at pictures instead? Yeah, um, well, I've always been interested in, in radiology because um, radiology is all about, like, diagnosis uh, and, you know, trying to find what's wrong with the patient that's a bit more problem-solving. And I really enjoy that aspect of medicine. Um, so surgery, you know, there's a bit of that and then there's the operating, which is great fun. But then afterwards, you know, there's a whole lot of boring stuff. Um, so, you know, operating is probably 10% of your time and then uh, the rest of it is, uh, you know, it's just basically the patient's convalescing and you have a lot less to do with that. Mm. Um, you know, it's, um, and then also they're very different lifestyles. Uh, I think being a surgeon is a very demanding lifestyle. Uh, and it takes a uh, certain personality, which you, uh, as a trainee in surgery, you get to encounter <laughs> the different personalities in the bossy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, the radiologists that I encountered seemed a lot more well-adjusted. And I was like, yeah, I'd rather <laughs> be like you uh, rather than uh, the surgery, surgery bosses. Um, so, and then uh, there was one, I remember I was operating one night, I was on call um, in the hospital and I had to call the boss in to help me do this operation. And it was like midnight and we're doing this big operation and the boss is like, He's like, oh, Anthony's my uh, wife's 50th birthday party today and you've called me in to come and do this. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so I was like, so there's those kind of things. There's a lot of like uh, a lot of personal sacrifices you have to make as a surgeon. Mm. And so I think you have to really love it uh, to be able to like deal with that. And, yeah, I was like, not sure I love it that much actually. So, <laughs> Did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? Uh, yeah, well, actually, uh, ER was my favourite uh, medical show. But, um, I did watch a bit of Grey's, yeah. Is that what inspired you to go into uh, surgery for a start? I hope not. <laughs> hey. No, no like, um, uh, like surgery is, is really cool. They're kind, of like, they're kind of like the rock stars in medicine in a way. Well, they act like they are anyway. But, um, <laughs> Scrubs was yeah. always my favourite medical show. <laughs> yeah, Scrubs is very good. It's, um, embarrassing, but, um, embarrassing body parts as well. Oh, no, I can't watch that. In surgery, like the other, the other bad thing, well, not the other bad thing, but the other thing you have to deal with in surgery is, you know, you are doing serious stuff to people. Like, you know, you're doing life-changing stuff and, uh, you know, if it goes wrong, then, you know, there's a lot you have to live with, uh, you know, if you make a mistake. And there's some people that can handle that better than others. Mm. Um, and that's also, you know, um, you know, I enjoy sleeping well at night and radiology <laughs> well at night so oh, but wouldn't there be in radiology because you uh like you said there's a lot more of the diagnosis and you get to 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 look at things and problem solve there'd be a bit of that there'd be a bit yeah. of that pressure that if you get things wrong then 
yeah, there is there is a bit of that, but um, generally, like generally, um, you know, you never work you never working by yourself in radiology. I guess there's always someone you can go and ask and say, hey, do you think this is this? Or like, I, I'm not sure what this is. You know, do you, can you have a look at this scan and see what you think it is? Um, so there's that, um, and also, um, you know, in terms of the diagnosis and thing, the pictures are only part of the story. So it's the other doctors, you know, like the GPs or the physicians or the surgeons that are seeing the patient and they, you know, they can see, you know, exactly where the pain is in the patient or they have the blood test results and things like that. So, you know, sometimes I'll call us and I'll be like, hey, we think the patient has this, but then, you, you know, you sit on the scan, you think it's this, can you go back and have a look and see, you know, if it makes sense, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, right. But, but it definitely does happen. It's just, it's just fact of medicine um everyone thinks it's very precise but unfortunately uh problem with medicine is everyone is so different even though you know we're all everyone we're all the same but everyone is actually really really different and the way diseases interact with the individual you know is uh can be quite different and that makes it hard to interpret sometimes mm. i'm always a fan of uh if we take someone in i like following them up through the cat scans well i don't go through them with them or their x-rays it's always interesting yeah and i love uh talking to the radiologists and that and they'll say oh yeah can you see this and uh and you're like yeah (laughs) know exactly what you're talking about but there would be some that you'd see like obviously x-rays and stuff if there's a break in a bone that's pretty easy to see yes but we're talking about like brain scans yeah right lungs i've never seen a brain scan but do you do anthony do you do things like mris and well in the past have you done mri scans and things like that yeah, yeah, I report uh, MRI scans. Um, yeah. Right, I've got a couple. I need a second opinion. No, I don't uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're working in nuclear medicine. Let's talk about that because that sounds pretty awesome. And, again, was there much nuclear medicine around when you finished high school? Uh, there was a little bit, actually. Nuclear medicine does have uh, quite a long history, uh, kind of back to maybe like the 1940s. Um, they were, uh, it was kind of starting uh, around then. Um, so it did definitely exist uh, in medicine when I was training. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, the advances in the last 20 years have made it a lot more prominent in medicine. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, in the, you know, 20 years ago, the guys that did uh, nuclear medicine, like the specialists there, were kind of like maybe a little bit special <laughs> in medicine. <laughs> So it kind of still has a little bit of that uh, reputation about it. Uh, so they, um, but um, yeah. So basically, what it is is um, it's using radioactive materials to uh, image parts of the body, or actually to work out uh, what the body is doing. So we inject, uh, uh, we call them traces. So there's usually um, a radioisotope that's attached to like a protein or a molecule that the body does something with. Um, so, you know, like we do renal scans where we image what, how well the kidneys are working. Mm. So, so we have uh, a radioactive molecule that's attached to a protein that goes through the kidneys and the kidneys flush it out. So we, we watch it, you know, using the scanners, we can watch it go to the kidneys, see how long it takes, how long it sits in the kidneys, see the kidney can push it out to the bladder and then we can see it, you know, leave the body basically. Um, but the main thing I do is uh, PET scans, which is... Um, 
uh, positron emission tomography. Uh, so that's, you know, basically, uh, you know, it's, it's the human race harnessing the power of physics to do something amazing. That's how I would yeah. explain it. But um, so basically the main thing we use is a tracer called FDG, which is basically radioactive sugar. So we inject this radioactive sugar into patients and then um, we usually use it for cancer. And so cancer is usually, you know, it's a, it's a, 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 they're hungry cells. They want to use sugar to grow and divide. So usually the sugar goes there and it lights up on our scans. We can see that, well, most of the, you know, a lot of the sugar has gone to this area and this is probably where the cancer is. And then we can see where the cancer spread and uh, things like that. Yeah. So the uh, radioactive sugar is a really interesting way to describe it. And um, I know, I know the very basics about PET scans. And by that, I mean, dad has had PET scans. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that he's had to, you know, go through the process and whatever, but so when you take the sugar and you do the scan, when they say things light up like Christmas trees, is that the cancer cells that do that? Yeah, and they say they say Christmas tree because um, we use a colour scale that goes from green to red. So green means, so green is like there's only a little bit of sugar being used and red is a lot of sugars being used in that area. Um, so you kind of, so the pictures kind of have this green background because the rest of the body is using a little bit of sugar mm. and then the cancer is using a lot of sugar, so it's red. So that's kind of the Christmas tree analogy. Oh. Um, that, um, I had a totally different thing in mind. I had like the MRI scans when there's, you know, how you get the, the bits that light up really white. That's what I had in mind. I had no idea that it was green and red, but I've heard the term when they talk about it, things light up like Christmas trees. I was like, oh. Yeah. That's but um, but that's 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 kind of the standard color scale. But there's other ones. People, you can, you know, it depends on the on the software. I can change the color scale. But the standard in infant medicine is to use that scale. Mm. And um, <clears throat> yeah. So but, yeah. With um, when we talk about nuclear, anything nuclear and radioactive, I guess as a kid of the eighties, you're thinking of Homer Simpson, aren't you? No, no. I was actually <laughs> thinking of things like Chernobyl and oh, the atomic right. bomb, and you know. Yeah. Sorry, I don't. I'm going to leave the Simpsons comment well alone. I feel like I feel like we don't want to dumb this conversation down. Hey, Simpsons. <laughs> Anywho, um, I feel like you know, coming from that era where radioactivity and nuclear had a pretty bad rap because of things like Chernobyl and plutonium, and that's what that's where my mind goes. Like, is plutonium and things like that? used and is nuclear medicine can it be dangerous like what are the risks associated yeah so um yeah we don't use uranium or plutonium those sorts of things and uh that's the other thing a lot of people you know when they when i say i'm a nuclear medicine specialist they think that's what i do they, they think i treat uh people that are you know being involved in those accidents and things but actually we don't i wouldn't know like we're not trained to do that that's a different specialty again um but basically the radioactivity we use uh, is very low doses and they're very short half-life. So, for example, the, um, the radioactive sugar has a half-life of two hours. So after about 24 hours, there's basically no radiation left in your system. Um, and the radiation is very low um, to the point where, you know, you're probably, if you took a flight to London from Melbourne, you're probably getting more radiation 
than you are from our scans because the higher up you are in the atmosphere, the less uh, atmosphere there is to block the sun's radiation. So, um, and particularly like an X-ray is hardly any radiation at all. And even the new like CT scanners, it's very low radiation. And um, you know, even with the, the CT scanner, you're basically getting exposed to radiation for less than 30 seconds, you know, whereas the nuclear reactor type accidents, those things emit radiation for years and years, you know, like centuries. Yeah. And it's constant. So the people who live in those areas are constantly exposed to it. Um, so that, you know, the average person in Australia that's having a few scans over their lifetime, it makes absolutely no difference. Um, you know, we are very cautious with women that are pregnant because, you know, in the early stages of development, the fetus is very um, vulnerable to radiation. So we definitely try and avoid it, you know, in the first trimester. But after that, it's, you know, it's uh, very, very safe. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things we use radiation for in medicine. So there's just like, you know, there's the imaging, but also treatment. So part of my job um, in nuclear medicine is actually using radioactive materials to treat things. So the most common thing is thyroid cancer where we give patients uh, radioactive iodine tablets. Uh, so the radioactive iodine goes to the thyroid cancer and kills the cells. Um, there's new treatments for prostate cancer where we inject um, radioactivity uh, that attacks the prostate cells. And basically that radioactivity doesn't leave the body. Um, so those people are very safe to be around essentially, you know, mm. even though they've got this radioactivity inside them, the radiation doesn't penetrate more than two, three millimeters in the, in the tissues. So I find it fascinating that there are such things as radioactive iodine tablets. I just find that again, being a kid of the eighties, I just, that to me is just phenomenal. That's a phenomenal advancement in, in medicine and technology. But it's also really effective, particularly the prostate thing at, at yeah. the early stages. That's incredibly effective, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is quite effective. Um, I mean, nothing will replace, you know, having the tumour cut out and then it's, you know, it's gone. But um, the prostate therapy is very effective, particularly once uh, like the prostate cancer is metastasized and you can't get rid of it all by other by other means, then this is definitely very effective. Um, so yeah, and, and that's the future. And this is the kind of stuff that we do quite often at, uh, at Peter Mac. So being at Peter Mac then and being involved in this type of nuclear medicine, are you doing research that could one day lead to a cure for cancer? Well, well, Peter Mac in general uh, does a lot of research in uh, in cancer. Uh, I myself am more involved in research that has to do with imaging of cancer um, and how to better detect cancers uh, rather than uh, than treatments. So that's like developing uh, new like pet traces. So instead of using the radioactive sugar, we're developing other more specific things that will target just uh, individual cancers. Um, so there's that kind of research that's happening. And curing cancer, I think, is a very, very difficult thing because uh, unfortunately cancer is not just one disease. It's, you know, it's basically a hundred or thousands of different diseases um, that, you know, that are all basically cells that have gone haywire in your body. And, you know, and depending on, you know, what that cell was before it went rogue, you know, it depends, it makes it a different disease essentially. 
Um, but we are getting better at treating cancer. I know like when I was in medical school, if you had melanoma that had metastasized, your chance of surviving the next five years was practically zero. And now we have new, uh, you know, immunotherapy tablets basically in these patients, you know, live decades now. So that's just, which is phenomenal because we all know what the rate of melanoma in this country yeah. is. It's, it's insane, isn't it? Have you got some questions there, Charlie? You're taking notes. Uh, well, I was taking notes, but you kind of answered them all. Oh. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, I want to talk a bit more about the radiation thing because that, that's a real sticking point for me. I quite enjoy, again, I, it's fascinating. So radiation. Radiation. Hey. You just hooked on radiation, aren't you? Well, yeah, I, and I think it's I think it is because growing up in the eighties, there was such a bad there was such a bad rap around because it was when microwaves came out and you couldn't stand you weren't allowed to stand too close to the microwave. Yeah, it's still that. Well, yeah, um, but then Chernobyl happened, and I remember Chernobyl. Um, what? No, do I? I? Feel like you don't. I feel like I do. No, I feel like I do. Yeah. There was yeah, there's been a couple of big. Not in 85, Chernobyl was. Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah. I remember being five very vividly. Um, <laughs> but there was all that kind of, you know, bad rap around radiation and now it's used to treat cancer, which 20, 30 years ago we thought radiation caused cancer. Discuss. Uh, <laughs> well, it does cause cancer. I guess uh, it's like anything in, you know, like science. It can either be used for good or evil. So, um, and so radiation does cause cancer, um, prolonged exposure to radiation um, or getting a very, very high dose all of a sudden. So basically um, there's two ways that radiation can harm the body. It's either immediately you get a very, very high dose and that's when, you know, you get things like ulcers and <clears throat> things like that or when you see in the movies people coughing up blood and stuff like that. So that's a thing. That's a thing if you get exposed to very, very high doses, which... When you, when you talk about high doses, like, what's the... Comp- like, it's it's a really... Like, you're not going to see it in your lifetime. No. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about 10,000 times the dose or actually 100,000 times the dose of a PET scan type levels. So it's, you know, you have to basically... You know, there was a few scientists when they were... Uh, developing the atomic bomb in America, one guy who, like, touched the plutonium and stuff like that, you know. Mm. Um, so there's the radiation that, that you know, high doses are harmful to your cells. I feel like that might have been Homer Simpson. <laughs> or Martin McFly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing that radiation does is uh, it can damage your DNA. So um, it basically, you know, it basically sends off little particles that pass through your body and if the particle hits a strand of DNA, then it'll break the strand. And then the body will have a crack at repairing it. But if it can't repair it, um, then sometimes that can make that cell go haywire. And then so down the track, you develop a cancer because there's this dodgy bit of DNA sitting in a cell that one day when the cell needs to divide, um, you know, will cause it to, um, uh, you know, lose its normal function and divide rapidly and become a cancer. So, you know, and that kind of thing happens uh, you know, like 20, 30 years later, generally. Um, so they're the main, they're the two main types of uh, dangers with uh, radiation. Um, so, yeah, and then now we use it to treat cancer. So, you know, radiotherapy is a very common treatment for cancers where there's a focused beam of radiation uh, into the cancer 
And basically that's doing the same thing that is damaging the DNA in those cancer cells so they can no longer function and that they die because um, if, you know, if you basically break all the DNA in your cell, then the cell um, is kind of a trigger for the cell to undergo like a um, cell death and that's a way of treating cancer. But they're very focused beams. They're very good at just hitting the right target. So, and but there are, you know, there is some uh, um, collateral damage from that. So that's why some people get some effects from radiotherapy. They get, you know, red skin and things like that because uh, the skin is slightly damaged from the radiation. Yeah, but sure, you can cope with red skin if it's killing the cancer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that's the radiotherapies where they have to wear the mask. Like I had an auntie that had a brain tumor. She had radiotherapy where she had yeah. to wear almost a cage on her head yeah. to stay incredibly still. That's right. That's that's why you got to stay still so that you don't, you know, irradiate the normal tissues around the cancer because it's such like they focus beam at the cancer. You know, if you move a few millimeters either side, you'll get something that you're not supposed to hit, and then might cause uh, some problems soon. Wow. So how long, if you're doing radiotherapy, how long is that beam going in? How long do you have to stay still for? Staying still for an MRI on your knee is difficult. Yeah, MRIs take a long time. The the radiotherapy is usually uh, not that long. It's only, you know, a matter of minutes typically. Um, But sometimes they'll, you know, uh, it's kind of like intermittent pulses. So uh, the beam might only be on for a few seconds then they'll wait like a minute and then put it on for a few seconds again and then wait a minute, uh, things like that. Well, that's okay. You can cope with staying still for that yeah, long. You'll that's be fine. Right. You'll be right. Can I ask how is, and be, I'm, I'm unpacking all of my questions with a nuclear medical, because how often do you get to talk to a nuclear medical scientist specialist? you got his number now. Just call him whenever. I haven't got his number. This is Zoom, oh. Charlie. Do you know how Zoom works? Yes. <laughs> but I, I, how is, when we're talking about radiation therapy, what powers that? Is that where the the radioactive and the nuclear materials like plutonium and uranium come into it? Uh, no. It's, um, so those sort of radioactive materials, that, like the plutonium and uranium, are in reactors, and then from the reactors we get um, certain compounds and chemicals that we do use in, in, in nuclear medicine. So like the radioactive iodine comes out of a reactor, um, and other other things like lutetium and stuff like that. Um, generally, radiotherapy is a beam that's generated through. Uh, it's basically electrical currents and electrons hitting uh, certain metals that then give off X rays, um, which is kind of the same way that CT scanners and X rays work. Um, you basically run electric current, which then focuses an electron beam at a rotating metal disc uh, and then the interaction of the electrons with the metal atoms on that disc give off x-rays which can then be focused uh, into you know into any direction that we want basically wow so this is to me this is fascinating stuff even though my job is so far removed from this kind of stuff on a basic level this is don't you find this fascinating charlie's sitting there going yeah but a lot of it uh no because you know, you, you'd know some of it, wouldn't you? Like, no. It's not all completely foreign. No, most of it's completely foreign. Oh. Like a, like for someone like me, for a lay person that's not involved in healthcare at all, um, the closest thing I've come to nuclear um, medicine is 
years and years ago in a previous life, Anthony, I worked at Stanford University in California. Ooh, yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you want me to start name dropping yeah. now. Um, but I worked there for a couple of years for a gastroenterologist. But at Stanford, they have a um, the collider, the, the Hadron Collider. Yeah. They smash atoms. Hey, that's not a Stanford, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. It goes for miles. Like yeah. this, the tunnel is really, really long. And every now and then you might get to talk to someone that worked with someone that was closely um, yeah. involved in it. Well, there is one in Switzerland as oh. well. Yeah. I know. But there is one at Stanford. I know that. Um, there you go. One of the best girls in the world, Charlie. Mm-hmm. I've still got the jumper. It's fine. Um, so <laughs> that's... <laughs> So that's, what, was it the one that says cleaner or something like that? No, it's got stairs. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Granted, anyone could go and buy a Stanford apparel. Yeah, anyway, exactly. but that's that's sort of the closest that I've ever come to being able to ask these questions. But once you start talking about it and thinking about it, it runs so deep. So the fact that it's taken you 20 years to get to where you are now is actually of no surprise and it shouldn't be of any surprise to anybody. Well, I think it's actually good because you want your doctors to know what they're doing. So, <laughs> well, well, yes, <laughs> this is exactly right. Yeah, it's not some, you know, over off the street. And someone that's done a school based apprenticeship. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I ask? Someone's gone choice bro To what? Choice, choice bro <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Yeah. Um, as a, To be a radiologist, Anthony, do you have to go to medical school first or is that you do? Yeah. Wow. So, so all radiologists are doctors. So we're all doctors. Like mm. you're a doctor first and then you, uh, you know, become a specialist in medical imaging. So then you're a radiologist. Um, so you have to know what's going on. Yeah, I know. But I just, I, I didn't know whether there was a difference between being a radiologist and being the person that does the x-ray and takes the scan. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a radiographer. And that's ah. a different Yeah. See, that's, okay. a different, that's a different uh, university degree and different training. So oh, that's still a university degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's good, but <laughs> <laughs> if I ever wanted a career change, like I'm not, uh, I've said it plenty of times before, I was school and me don't agree. So there's just. <laughs> yeah, so they're, so they're kind of like the photographers and I'm just the art critic pretty much. Right. Oh, that's a good analogy. But you know what the ologist at the end of it means? No. It's a study of. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Anthony, can you run us through those 26 letters or whatever you have at the end of your name? <laughs> okay. Uh, so the medical degree is MBBS, which is uh, it's called Medical Bachelor, Bachelor of Science, uh, Bachelor of Surgery. I and mean, then two, I have uh, Is that two? Was that Bachelor of Bachelor? Yeah, yeah. So it's two bachelor's degrees um, to be a doctor. So Medical Bachelor, Bachelor of Surgery. And then... Uh, I have, because I did the research here, I got another bachelor's degree, which is a bachelor of medical science. Um, and then I've done a master's of medicine uh, with, with some research in radiology. It was mostly a research degree. And then um, when you qualify as a radiologist, you get uh, F-R-A-N-Z-C-R after your name, which is fellow of the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Radiologists. And then after nuclear medicine training, you get... Uh, some more letters and you become a fellow of the Australian uh, Nuclear Medicine Society. Um, so that's where I'm up to with my letters so far. Wow. <gasps> Isn't that insane? <laughs> that is, uh... that, it's just, but like you said, you want your doctors to know what they're doing. 
So all power to you. You obviously really enjoyed school. Let's go right back to going to school in Robinvale. Were you always a studious? St. Mary's boy as well. Mm. Yeah, with the St. Mary's, yeah. Charlie, what year did you finish school? Uh, 96. Yeah, I think I remember you being around school, I think. I would have probably finished high school by the time you got there. Yeah, but I think you went to St. Mary's. I think I remember yeah, yeah. St. Mary's, yeah. Yeah, so I went to St. Mary's first uh, and then, uh, yeah, off to Rumble Secondary College. Did I, were either of you taught by John Neal? Both of us. Oh, well, I definitely yeah. was. I reckon you would have been too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you know John is still around and he's like the local newspaper reporter now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know this is going to end up in the Sentinel, don't you? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> now that we've said his name. Well, no, but, I, you know, John and I cross paths all the time for stories and things, so no doubt you'll be getting a call to have a chat to Mr Neil. Um, <laughs> About U7 Science <laughs> and how, how he was a catalyst for all of this. <laughs> well, was he? I don't know. Was he? Um, to be honest, I was trying to, you know. Please, say, please no. say yes. No, no please, please say, say yes. No. <laughs> I was trying to remember, like, when I kind of, Definitely decided I wanted to be a doctor, and it's it's hard. I think it must have been you know, you know, late high school, I guess. But um, it probably was from watching ER too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. What quality programming oh, we yeah. had back then? <laughs> stop it, uh, Charles. Stop yeah. it, Anthony. I mean, we could I could sit here and talk for ages, but I've kept you nearly an hour, which is uh, longer than I wanted to. So, um, tigers, yeah, the the chat. tigers or the cats, Anthony? Oh, see, this is very conflicted, Charlie, because um, my late brother went for the uh, for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, you would know Lucci. So he actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, he passed away the day after they won the first grand final. Oh. Uh, so, uh, but now I live in Geelong, uh, so uh. I kind of a bit bit torn about. Uh, so I'd be happy either way, to be honest. So, yeah. so if you live in Geelong, do you commute to Peter Mac? Every day. Yeah, so, so I work uh, Peter Mac four days a week and one yep. day a week uh, in Geelong. Um, so, yeah, so I go through the ring of steel every day. Oh. <laughs> mm, yeah, the cotton wool ring. Let's yeah. Is, do yeah. they stop you every day? Uh, yeah, so going from Geelong to Melbourne, there's no checkpoint, but coming the other way. from Melbourne to Geelong, there's a checkpoint yeah. and you get stopped. Just like Rumbell, Houston. <laughs> Yeah. We get stopped at the border in Houston. But the train is great from Geelong to Melbourne. It's like an hour on the train. So you jump on that V-line train, have a snooze before you get to work. Yeah. I I used to live in Janjuk when I worked in Melbourne. So I know that train line Hmm. well, but it was well before the new freeway. So if I, you know, the train was always the the better option. Yeah. No, the train is generally pretty good, but um, it seems like uh, it's safer to drive currently. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So you still haven't given us an answer. Richmond or Geelong? Um. Yeah, let's go to Tigers. <laughs> so I shouldn't say that too loudly. The neighbours might hear me. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. You won't be the only person going. Well, you might be actually in Geelong. In Geelong, yeah. G Town. It's the city of dreams. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, thanks so much for giving us some time today on a public holiday, nonetheless. Um, which is probably the only time you could. Uh, yeah, you got the time as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So thanks so much. Uh, any plans to come? Well, you technically regional as far as yeah. old um, mates, mate, 
considers the state. Any plans to come back to Robinvale anytime soon? Yeah, well, mum and uh, my sister Gab still live in Robinvale, so I'm sure I'll be down to visit them at some stage soon. So, um, yeah. You'll have to call in to what, the studio. What does, um, what's, is it, it's Wanda, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Wanda, my sister, yeah. What does she do now? Still teaching? Yeah, she's a school teacher in, uh, so she lives in Gippsland and she teaches at a school in Terrellgan. She's my grade four teacher. Really? Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was at St. Mary's. Uh, yeah. There you go. See, connections everywhere. Yeah. Did, you, did you do all your, you went to the secondary college, did you do yeah. year 12 and stuff there? Yeah. yeah. But I had, a, I had a fair time off before I went to uni. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably like 14 years off <laughs> of a gap year. 14, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I imagine uh, the school's changed a bit now. After, next time yeah. I'm home, I have to go for a walk through, have a look. Well, yeah, we yeah next time you come, the um, new brand new community library should be open. It looks completely different now. The entrance is at a different spot. It's uh, it's all combined now. So, yeah. you know, we used to have secondary and uh, primary. Yeah, yeah. It's P12 now, so you go in from the, uh, what's that? George Street. Street. Yeah. 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 But next time you're here, make sure you look us up and we'll have another sit down uh, all together in the studio, hopefully by that stage. I'm sure Jade will have more questions about this. I will have plenty more questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Things like uh, three-eyed fish, like actually a thing, if you want to talk about The Simpsons. That's the only thing I know really about The Simpsons (laughs) and nuclear. Didn't Homer blow up a reactor at one point? He always does. What do you mean he always does? He takes one home with him. Takes a bit of plutonium home with him. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. so the, the Simpsons is based on True real. Story. Yeah. True story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a prophecy. All right, Anthony, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Go the Tigers yeah. this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Vale podcast driven by Pioneer Ford Robin Vale. It's worth the drive. Remember to support our sponsors and shop local. Subscribe at thevalepodcast.com.au.